We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's going on, listeners? I am Richie, and we'll be joined by Spencer this time around for another BuzzBeat episode. On today's episode, we're going to give our reaction to the 2019 schedule, and then at the second half of this episode, we're going to answer several of your Twitter questions. Just a reminder, we are the go-to Charlotte Hornets podcast for deep analysis and a proud member of the Blue Wire Network. Be sure that you guys are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you listen to us on. Spencer, it's been a while. How's everything going with you in your household? Good. Yeah, everything everything's good. You know, it's that time of year where we record like once every few weeks, and then I missed the last one. So it's uh, yeah, it's been a while since <laughs> I talked to you guys. It's it's always like a weird feeling, but uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's like the doldrums of the sports season. Not not much going on. I've been you know, deep into Red Sox baseball for like the past month or so, which has been pretty depressing this year. So uh, I'm ready for football, Richie, that's for sure. Um, I would say that I am uh, cautiously optimistic about the Panthers. I'm still in like wait and see mode with Cam, um, which I know is going against the grain with this fan base. (laughs) I got it. But where do you stand with the Panthers? Do we have like a playoff team in us? It's a good word. It's a good word. Cautiously optimistic. I would say we do have a playoff team. I think, you know, NFC South division winners is going to be something that's going to be tough to attain, but I think a wild card is definitely uh, in the books for us. I think, you know, if we can get to 10 wins, that would be great, and I think that would put us in the playoff position. I'm a little bit higher on Cam than I know you are because we've talked about this off air. And, yeah, you know, coming off a surgery, shoulder injury where he wasn't, at his best last season throwing downfield, that's still kind of up in the air. And then seeing that on a week-to-week basis and having that being tested week in and week out. But I will say that I really like what they've done with the defense, you know, drafting Burns as well as um, getting McCoy, Gerald McCoy on the defensive end. And switching to that 3-4 is going to be interesting as well. So I think the defense should hold up and hopefully Cam's shoulder holds up as well. Yep. All right, so let's jump right into the schedule reaction. The NBA released its schedule on Monday, August 12th. The Charlotte Hornets are going to be opening the regular season on October 23rd against the Chicago Bulls. It feels like, Spencer, they always open up against the Milwaukee Bucks. Surprisingly, we open up at home against the Chicago Bulls. 
League average for back-to-backs this season is 12.4. Charlotte is going to have 12 back-to-backs this season, so right around league average. Last season, they had 15 back-to-backs. So let's just give our gut initial reactions. I don't put too much stock into the schedule, but I know a lot of people do. In seasons past, Spencer, normally the back half of the season has always been, you know, road heavy. You know, a lot of road games, especially those last couple of months. This season, we have 21 home games in the second half of the season. Although, a little bit of an asterisk here, it's really just 20 because one of the games in France counts as a home game, but clearly is in a neutral site. So, a little bit of a change up this season. Back half of the schedule is not loaded with road games. I think it's also interesting to see that they get their West Coast swing out of the way. On October 27th, they play four teams in six days with the Lakers, Clippers, Kings, and the Warriors. And then the last observation I have, Spencer, even though a lot of their games late are at home, based on Vegas' expected win percentage, their, you know, their strength of schedule slowly increases as the season progresses. So any gut reactions you have to the schedule? Yeah, really. I mean, the start of it certainly is interesting. You know, you get two home games to start the season, and then almost right away, you know, you get a West Coast road trip uh, with, with four uh, out west with both LA teams, Golden State, and I can't remember off the top of my head who the other one is, but it's a, it's a tough road trip. So, you know, I, I think that's nice that you get that trip out of the way early, number one, but it's also a good way to like just take the temperature on this team earlier in the, in the year. You know, are they going to lose those four games on the road right away by a combined 100 points or are they going to come out and be competitive? So I, I think that's kind of. I'm sure Coach Borrego is is looking forward to that trip early in the season. You know, it's nice mm-hmm. to have the the nationally televised game with Kimba returns early in November 7th. You know, that's only a few weeks into the season. Uh, so it's nice that everybody's still excited about basketball. I think that's going to be a really cool scene in Charlotte. Um, I, I, I think that it's going to be overwhelmingly uh, appreciative, uh, the, the crowd of, of Kimba Walker. and it's. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, for a season that's really probably going to be a bummer and, and depressing most of the time, it, it's nice that we just, like, have that early in the season to just circle our calendar and be like, okay, this is this is a night where we're going to tune in and, and really, you know, leave that uh, viewing just satisfied because uh, I, I think it's, it, it's kind of like a closing – you know, we're going to close the book on that chapter that night. You know what I mean, Richie? Like emotionally, I think for a lot of fans, certainly for me, seeing Kemba play in Charlotte in another jersey will like help me move on. <laughs> so That's true, because it really hasn't set in yet that he's not on this roster. And, you know, seeing those pictures with him in the, in the Celtics uniform uh, definitely is, is kind of strange. But to see him on the court going against us, it's definitely going to be an emotional time for him and emotional time for us. And then there's also the side story of uh, Terry Rozier also going against his old team. I think at that point, as fans, we can kind of move on and turn the page. Not that we're forgetting about Kemba by any means, but that that's a you know a good time for us to kind of move on as fans and say, hey, Kemba Walker, as of now, no longer part of this team, but maybe he will return later. Who knows? But definitely emotional time for that. Last question about the schedule, just a schedule in general. I think a lot of people like you know, anticipating this day. I can't wait for the schedule to come out. I, on the other hand, I don't really care about the schedule per se. Like I, I, you know, 82 games is 82 games, but do you put any kind of stock into the schedule in terms of how it affects the team win losses wise? 
Uh, I mean, not particularly. I think there's enough evidence and data out there that suggests that back-to-backs are, are, are a tough life to live. Um, you know, and, and I think especially for teams like you know, rosters like Charlotte had last year and the year before and maybe even the year before that where there were more veterans uh, and they were, you know, potential playoff team squads. Um, and we always seem to get – be on the on the bad end of the the league average and back to back. So on the margins, uh-huh. I think it makes a difference. You know, when you're you're battling for one of the last playoff spots. But in general, I'm with you. Like 82 games, 82 games. Everybody's got to go do it, and you know that going in. So you're either good enough to be in the postseason or you're not. Like when when it boils down to it, I don't I don't think that it, if you're one of those people that's looking back and be like, well. All this it was the way it was because, or, or you know, we got screwed by the schedule makers. <laughs> I think that's probably not not the right way to look at it. I guess the good thing this year, Spencer, we really don't have to worry about that because I doubt that we're going to be in that playoff hunt in terms of being, you know, a couple games out of the eighth seed. Not uh, not going to matter this year, Richie. You're correct. Not going to matter at all. <laughs> but uh, one last note about the schedule, not that it matters like I, I was just talking about, but if there's a good follow on Twitter, his name is Ed Kupfer at E-D-K-U-P-F-E-R. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Uh, The Hornets are in the bottom 10 in the NBA when it comes to rest advantage, meaning more often than not, Charlotte's going to be entering these games with less days rest than their opponent. So it's still going to play a role uh, in how they play and how they perform. Uh, But again, it's really not going to matter with this team whose focus is not necessarily on winning and losing, but developing those young players. And we do have some questions on the other side of the break, Spencer, about some of these young players. Let's first get into a little offer that we have for you guys. Football season is here. It's time to start placing your bets for NFL and college football. Blue Wires teaming up with sports information traders and the legend John Price, one of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given the chance to make more money on football this season. Go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue and get the college football and NFL futures plays and make up to 15 times your money for only only a $99 investment. Last year, sports information traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. The year before that, Kurt Presley of Sports Information Traders made $1 million with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. John Price and the Sports Information Traders team can guide you on the best ways to make money on futures bets and preseason football betting picks. You get all of that for just $99 and the opportunity to make 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting Sports Information Traders betting picks sports information traders has been featured in espn gambling 911.com entrepreneur magazine and many more john price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years make a big return for a small investment with sports information traders futures picks get started now by going to sports information slash blue again make sure you go to sports information traders.com slash blue to have your chance at a 15 times return this football betting season all right let's get into some twitter questions spencer Uh, like i noted prior to this we are going to talk about some young players zachary pletchen asks what are the best case scenario comps for our young players this year he does go on to give an example for example 
I'd be very happy if Dwayne Bacon developed into J.R. Smith or Monk morphed into a good Ben Gordon. So whether it's a player comp or whether you expect them to come out with a stat line, we're going to go through a several players here. Let's start with Dwayne Bacon. Player comp or, or what you envision them doing, best case scenario for Bacon. What do you, what do you envision him this season? Yeah, best case. I mean, I think Bacon can get to, you know, between 17 and 18 points a game. I think he can gobble up, you know, five-ish rebounds, six-ish rebounds. Um, you know, if he can get to two and a half, three assists, I, I think that's best case scenario for him. You know, he reminds me a little bit of a guy named TJ Warren, who's now with uh, with Indiana, had been in Phoenix for much of his career, um, who averaged about 18 points a game last year for the Suns. You know, Bacon's role is going to be substantially different next year. It's gonna, I mean, he's going to have a big role. He, he might start uh, on this team, and he might see 30 minutes a game. So, you know, he's in the running to be most improved player, you know, on this roster with this opportunity he's about to get. And, you know, for a wing player at 6'7", 220 pounds, strong, pretty good athlete, proved that he can shoot the ball last year, you know, in, in a low uh, sample size, shot about 44% from behind the arc. I mean – you know, this is a guy that can that can come in and and immediately, I think, make a make a big difference for the Hornets and improve the put the league on notice a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. I think you know the opportunity to play with the ball in his hands a whole lot more this season is going to be very obvious. I do think, as a result, though, his efficiency will go down. His efficiency numbers last season were a little bit uh, inflated, I think, because of the low sample size, uh, but still promising nonetheless. I'm pretty bad at player comp, so I, I'm going to give one, but I'm not sure this is the best one. I'm not going to say like he produces like, like this guy like in terms of his stat line, but I think his play style is very similar to that of uh, kind of a less athletic Zach Levine in terms of he gets to the rim a lot and he shoots from deep a lot uh, and the kind of struggle in between. So... I guess best case scenario is this watered down Levine. I think he can get up to, like you said, like 15, 16 points per game. I I don't know if I can go as far as saying 18. I know that he's going to get a lot of minutes. And uh, something that we've mentioned before on previous podcasts, that something that he's got to improve on uh, is to be a little bit more consistent on the defensive end. And I think he has the tools to be a consistent player on that end. But I think part of it, obviously, is is the mental aspect what are your thoughts on Bacon when it comes to his uh, his defense and his upside on that end? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was critical of his defense in Summer League when we did a pod, you know, uh, about a month ago, kind of recapping Summer League. And, uh, you know, it, he has the potential to be a good defender. We saw flashes uh, towards the end of last season. Um, he's got the body, the build, the athleticism to be, you know, not a wing stopper per se but but certainly an above average wing defender and and the Hornets are going to need that because they're really lacking you know in in wing defense so you know I I won't say that I'm bullish on the prospects of him becoming even an average defender but you know if he wants to reach his ceiling as a player in this league you know it can't only be we really need him to to see an uptick offensively we need him to to play on both ends of the court, you know, he's young. This is the first time in his career he's really ever been asked to play serious minutes and and get a, a really a full-time role. So you would think that this is a guy that we're going to see a lot of energy from early in the season, uh, and he's going to leave it out there regularly. And, and here's the other thing for Bacon, too. You know, he has a one of these young players, Monk, you know, Devontae Graham, Dwayne Bacon, Miles Bridges – one of them's going to have to step into a leadership role. And, you know, I think that 
Devontae is probably the most natural uh, guy to do that. A little bit older, um, you know, ha- has played a, a leadership role in the past at, at Kansas, you know, really being their, their quarterback. But I think Dwayne Bacon, if he realizes that he could be that guy, I think that opportunity is there for him too. So I'm so I'm I'm curious to see if he can become a little bit of a vocal leader out there for this young team. I would agree with you on Devontae Graham maybe being more naturally, uh, you know, kind of a leader type. But Bacon's definitely going to see more minutes than him and have that opportunity to be on the court more often uh, and, and to lead by example a little bit more. Um, you did mention him being maybe like the most improved player uh, this season on the Hornets roster. I tend to lean Miles Bridges, who we're going to talk about next. Uh, I think that Bacon, like I said, is a, his efficiency is definitely going to go down next season. But Miles Bridges. I really don't have a good player comp for Bridges. I think he's definitely a unique player. Uh, but like Bacon, he's going to have that opportunity to play more often, play with the ball in his hands a whole lot more often. I do think for him to kind of reach his ceiling and the best-case scenario for Bridges, he definitely needs to get better, a better handle, tighten that handle a little bit, better awareness on the defensive end. And I think, you know, in a – the best case scenario world for Bridges, I can see him shooting 36 or 37% from deep. And he's got to get better on those above the break threes because he does really well in the corners. But if Borrego wants him to play that four more often, I would assume that pick and pop game uh, would be there more often at that four position. So he's got to get better at above the break threes. I think he can average close to 18 points per game and snag about six or seven rebounds per game. Any uh, you know player comps for Bridges or best case scenario for him? I mean, I think those stats, you know, and, and you made a great point about him playing four and where the opportunity on the floor for him is going to be offensively. I think that's that's well said. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there's no question he's got to learn to to tighten the dribble up a little bit. He's got to learn to become a little bit more of a creator. Um, just just a more high IQ player. I mean, you know, the one thing that really scares me about Miles is. You know, on top of that hand, that handle that he struggles with in traffic, certainly, you know, he's not the best decision maker. He shows flashes, um, but makes some pretty boneheaded decisions sometimes with the ball in his hand. So, I, I where that turnover number could get to kind of scares me with with how much of a role he's going to play this coming year. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think you kind of hit it dead on. Comp wise, he's a tough one. He's a very unique player because of how much of a incredible athlete that he is and he loves to play above the rim but the problem is can he get there without a a a wide open lane right can he kind of weave his way there so that Uh that's where he's got to grow harrison barnes you know i've I've seen that comp he's obviously a much more nuclear athlete than barnes but they they kind of both have the same weaknesses um and they have a very similar body type so i've i've liked that uh comp maybe more than others in the past with him but but he's he's really hard to to compare to anybody, you know. So yeah. we'll see uh, with Bridges. Uh, you know, we're not going to learn everything this year. Um, but I, you know, in the next two two and a half seasons, we're going to know if this is a guy who can actually play with the ball in his hands in an NBA offense, or if he's really just going to be a really good athlete that can grab and go and then shoot corner threes and beat a closeout, right? Like so, this is season one of uh, what I would say probably two two and a half that we'll kind of figure out what he is as a player. So you got to be excited about that a little bit at least. Yeah, you're right in the sense that if, if he can only play off ball, that definitely limits his effectiveness as a player. We mentioned he's got to get better with that handle. And, you know, if he's going to see more time on ball, he's got to be able to handle the ball and weave his way to traffic more consistently. 
Uh, let's transition to Devontae Graham, player comp. I'm going to say Jameer, like a Jameer Nelson type. He's definitely got to improve shooting the ball from behind the arc, uh, but he does like to shoot a ton from back there. Uh, he does run an offense like a veteran point guard. He's a low-mistake player. He's not the best defensively, but he's definitely scrappy. He's undersized, but he makes up for it kind of in his scrappiness. Uh, but like I said, I, I think I can see him turning into a Jameer Nelson type. He likes to get others involved. He attempts a good bit of threes. But like Jameer Nelson, he kind of doesn't have the the length or the height to get all the way to the hoop. And, you know, like Nelson, he's probably going to get overmatched on the defensive end. I, Graham, to me, is, is interesting because obviously we – traded for Terry Rozier, and Graham is going to see significantly less minutes than Bridges and Bacon. So best-case scenario for him is going to look very different than Bacon and Bridges just because he's not going to see a whole lot of minutes. But he's definitely got to get better shooting the ball. I, I think that's going to go a long ways in, in his development. I really don't have a stat line here for you, for you, Spencer, but do you have any stat line for Devontae Graham or a player cop? Um, yeah, I, I think it's Abbott and a player cop. I, I kind of like like if everything breaks right. You know, I think they're like they're similar size, they're similar athletes. Um, you know, Raymond Felton got the ball at a high had some moments during his career, um, but certainly struggled. You know, when he first got to the NBA to score uh, efficiently and shoot the ball from the outside. So, you know, and, and, you know, Felton was also a, a high assist, low turnover player during his days, too. There's another um, thing that they have in common. But you're absolutely right. Like, Devontae has got to learn to shoot the ball uh, at a higher clip. And, and I think he can get there. I really do. Because he was never a really, really efficient shooter at Kansas, but he, he wasn't a bad one either. And, you know, I think that part of his game is going to come. Um, and we've already seen that he has the ability to run an offense, which is a, a huge asset for any NBA team. I'm as excited, I think, about Graham this season as I am really just about any young player. I, I think he has the potential to become an NBA backup point guard that can stick for a long time. You know, obviously we need to see it because, you know, he's already 24 and a half years old, a little bit older, you know, from that perspective, even older than Dwayne Bacon, I believe. Uh, they're about the same age, but so it, you know it's it's a little bit make or break time for him. If he disappoints this year, that final year is not guaranteed. Now we start to scratch our heads. But like I think he's building block for the future. You know, never a guy who's going to be a starting point guard on a team. I don't think, but a guy who definitely be a piece of this house that Charlotte's trying to rebuild. So I am really intrigued with with Devontae's development this season. All right, last player I want to get to. I mean, I know there's other young players on this roster. Uh, Malik Monk, out of these four players, I feel like he's the most difficult to kind of project in terms of this best-case scenario because he definitely has underwhelmed uh, in his couple of seasons here in Charlotte. He's also a hard player, I feel like, to compare. I think he plays a lot like Nick Stauskas. But I think he could be better than Nick Stauskas. But I don't have too much hope for him because he really hasn't proven to me that he can be consistent on both ends of the court. He's clearly a more gifted passer than uh, a player like Stauskas. He has better vision than him, but he has yet to reach the efficiency from deep that I would want out of him. think best-case scenario for Monk, I think what I would focus on is cutting down the turnovers, upping his efficiency from deep, uh, his shot selection's got to improve, and he's got to have less boneheaded decisions on the defensive end as well. Spencer, do you have much hope for uh, Malik Monk this season? Um, not really. I mean, <laughs> I think I've been on record enough saying that I just I don't believe in Malik Monk as an NBA player, really. And 
I would love to be proven wrong. I mean, I, I loved him coming out of Kentucky. I, I'll be the first to admit that. And I thought he really had the flash and the athleticism and, and, and just the ability to be a lights out shooter. And, you know, but he got to play in such a good Kentucky team and he got to play in transition a lot. And these are things that, you know, he, he hasn't been surrounded with on the next level. So, you know, for Monk, he's got to work on his body. There's some some rumblings out there right now that he's he's put on some weight this summer. Um, you know, it, it, by getting in the weight room and really taking that part of it serious. You know, but we've heard that from like Frank Kaminsky, and we heard that from Hernan Gomez last season too. So it's 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 nice that yeah. we hear that, but like that doesn't always translate. Yeah, and you know, Hernan Gomez did come in in incredible shape, but unfortunately, that doesn't make you a better athlete <laughs> in his case. <laughs> um, but yeah, Monk like. You know, I, I just think him not showing up to summer league when I think that the team definitely wanted him to be there um, is a huge red flag. Like to me, that yeah. that's a that's a bad sign. That's a sign that there's a there's there's a break in communication somewhere between Malik Monk's quote unquote camp and the team, and uh, that makes me really nervous. Um, so, look, I, but aside from that, I don't really believe in him that much as a basketball player. But look, the, the, I think they're going to cut him loose this year. I think he's going to get a lot of minutes. I think he's going to get plenty of opportunity. He's going to play the ball in his hands. Um, I think he could turn the ball over five times a game. Hell, I think the Hornets could lead the league in turnovers this year. I mean, they just they're void of very of, of really any good decision makers or, or a guy that's proven that in his career. You know, boiling all the way down to veteran Nick Batum. So, I I we'll see, we'll see. Like I, I'm just at the point with Monk where it's like. I, I'm pretty much out, but hell, you could come out and shoot 42% from deep and all of a sudden that average six and a half assist a game and just given a larger role in a, on a young team with an offense that has very little identity, kind of find your niche. Like this stuff happens, right? Like I'm, I'm, I, it's not impossible. And maybe he was just so much in the shadow with this old group and didn't know where to fit in that it really affected his game. That's me being as optimistic as I'm going to be on the prospects of his season. But that's kind of the exciting part about this next year for the Hornets, right, Richie? Like, I think in the past, this it's just been like we're running it back with the same roster, running it back with the same roster. We yeah. kind of know what to expect. No, if you think you have, have any clue how this season's going to go and who's going to step up and be, you know, in the top three of scoring and rebounding and assist on this team, there's no way you actually believe that, right? Like, so that that is exciting about this season is we don't know who's going to step up. And, you know, why not Malik Monk? This is going to be a bad team. So this might be the opportunity he was waiting on. He's definitely surrounded by lesser players, but I think that uh, he's not going to have any excuse this season if he sees more minutes and more consistent minutes. Uh, if he does fail again, uh, there's no one that we can look to besides him. And one player that he's going to have to surpass in terms of minutes or at least trying to you know, even it out is Nick Batum. And that's where this next question, next question comes from. It's definitely an interesting one. I didn't think about this uh, until it was posed to us. This one is from Keith. He says, I don't know how to exactly phrase this, but Batum's contract, can it be an asset considering the 2021 free agent class? So, you know, I didn't understand this question at first, but when you look at the 2021 free agent class, it's stacked. You have, you know, Kawhi, uh, Kawhi Leonard has a player option. Uh, Giannis, Bradley Beal, I think LeBron James, a lot of other players uh, in this class that I'm sure a lot of teams are going to be vying for. Um, so I guess what he is getting at is if a team can get off longer salary 
and acquire Nick Batum as an expiring that offseason, I guess it makes it more of an asset. And I think this does make some sense, the line of thinking that he has. I would not be opposed to it for Charlotte because I don't view Charlotte as this big free agency destination. So we're not going to be really competing for these types of players. I think it would depend on what players we would get back in this trade. But also, I'm assuming we would also get some draft picks as well. So what, what are your, what's your uh, thought on this question posed by Keith? Yeah, it's a really good one. Thanks for that question, Keith. This is, this is the right way to think about you know, expiring contracts, especially ones with, with a large, you know, large number associated with them. I mean, it's really kind of the same thing in a much different you – know, we're talking about different free agent classes, obviously, but it's the same idea with, with Bismack Biombo and his $17 million for this coming season – and Marvin Williams, you know, with his fifteen million, like those are two contracts that, let's say, uh, if a team knew they were going to go after, you know, a Bradley Beal at the trade deadline, or, or name your player, and they needed, and they're kind of void of of a big contract they could send back to make the math work in the trade. Well, Marvin, and especially Bismack at seventeen, those are pretty big numbers that can help. Um, you know, it's just it's trade fodder. I mean, you need that on your roster too. So, but the point you're making, Keith, about uh, Nick Batum and his his 27 and change million in 2021, it, it's the right one because you know if Charlotte could could send that very big number out, take you know two or three longer contracts back from a team that is trying to carve out some space and get some assets in in uh, in the meantime, I think that's a trade that they should probably go ahead and make. And you know will still be at that point when that trade would be made. Uh, we'll, we'll still be very much in rebuilding mode. You know, maybe maybe right. we have a, a top three pick on our roster for for next summer's draft or something, and things are looking a little brighter. But we won't be obviously far enough down the rebuild where where we wouldn't be, or at least you would hope we wouldn't be willing not to take back uh, some bad salary with a few more years to gain some assets. But look, like that's that is an internal business decision that Charlotte has to make because they're still talking about wanting to to build a team that can compete. That's really the, the the conveyor belt quote you get from the GM or the owner when they actually do speak. Well, if you're trying to consistently build a team to compete, then that doesn't align with, hey, we're going to look at trades where we're taking on longer money to gain assets to actually help this rebuild. You know, that's a business, internal business decision at some point the Hornets got Hornets got to make. It's kind of weird to see the words Batum and asset in the same question here, but I, I've never thought of this. And, you know, the, the question that's been brought up in, in the line of thinking that you're talking about definitely makes a whole lot of sense. And to add to your point or to kind of enhance your point, this team, the state of the team in a couple of years is not going to be so far down the road that we're going to want to use that cap space on these types of players like a Bradley Beal or whoever it may be. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, this might be something that they consider a couple of years uh, down the line. Next question, at Fitch for Hornets. Thoughts on the invitation-only sit-down with past ticket holders and Mitch Kupchak? The ticket holders claim Monk has put on 20 pounds of muscle. I'm not sure how that's possible. And they will prioritize youth and development over veterans when it comes to minutes. And so the question kind of follows. So Batum and Bismack to the bench, Billy and Monk to get more PT. So where this comes from, I know I, I, know I saw this online somewhere. Uh, fi- finally figured out where I saw it. Uh, there's a guy on Twitter named Walter Burks. Uh, and he was a previous Charlotte Hornets ticket holder, Bobcats, I believe, as well. 
this season he decided to let go of the season ticket holders he's reconsidering after this sit down but he hasn't really committed back to that he did say on twitter in, in response to a question on twitter they said the focus would be getting a competitive team but they want to focus on building new players and giving young players the max time to play he uh mitch said players are going to have to step up and mitch didn't know who that guy would be now that kimba is gone but yeah the, the question is 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 valid. I, th- I think that Borrego was brought in here for player development. That's always what we heard attached to his name. Now is going to be the opportunity with Kimba gone for all these young players to get a lot of playing time. Uh, yeah, I would think that, you know, Bismack and Marvin and Batum, some of these older players are going to see less time, but you, you really don't know. I think that this team definitely has to become a little bit watchable. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to like drastically decrease. But, yeah, you're going to see more playing time out of out of Monk. You're going to see more playing time out of the young players. Uh, but there's definitely a business side to it in terms of putting a better product on the court. So that might require Marvin or Batum to play more minutes than they probably should. But you're still going to see plenty of minutes out of these young players. Yeah, yeah, no question. I, and, and, you know, I think it's a nice gesture that the team did this. But I mean, uh, the question I would ask is how many people were, you know, involved in this invitation only, quote unquote, you know, sit down, um, you know, because that, that would make a difference to me. And yeah, I mean, again, this is a nice gesture, but it would just be nice if there was like a press conference and you spoke to all your fans, you know, and not just the people that they give you money. Uh, every year, but this this goes in line with the train of thought uh, that this franchise has had for a while. So, um, yeah, I really don't have much more to add than that. I mean, it, it's reactionary too, right? Like there, there's another parallel mm-hmm. um, with the way this team has kind of done business. Everything's reactionary. They're, they never seem to be out in front of anything. Yeah, so I, I don't really have much to add on, off of what you said there, Richie. I thought that was well said. All right, last question of the podcast at Alex Golden MBA. You've been on a couple of his podcasts before, right? I have. Yeah, he does a great job. Great job. Yeah. He's uh I mean, if you're interested in the Indiana Pacers, go check out Alex <laughs> Golden and uh, Setting the Pace podcast. They do a great job. I like the name. Uh should the Hornets consider trading Marvin Williams? If so, what would a realistic return be? I I really really like Marvin Williams, uh but should the Hornets consider trading him? I I would say yes. It's so hard to gauge what a return would be for him. I'm I'm assuming a team that would be trading for Marvin Williams would be a contender trying to make that last second push for the playoffs or a a playoff team that once, you know, added veteran presence or an added three-point shooter. I think he can provide that. It would be tough to see him go. Kali, I mean, would you think we could get a late first? I mean, considering this is probably a, a contender for Marvin, or do you think the second's the highest you can go with him? Well, I think it depends. Like, I, you know, he's one of those guys. Is, is not only is he a player who can help a playoff team, but he's also an expiring contract. So, yeah, you know, kind of what we were just talking about with Batum and, and Biz is, okay, well, he's fifteen million. He's coming off the books. What if a team, you know, gives us a guy who's on the books for a pretty decent number for an extra year? Well, then we should be able to get an asset with that. Like, that's the way yep. that the Hornets should be thinking. Um, and I would be. I would be pretty surprised if Marvin Williams uh, wasn't traded this upcoming season, but I, I would, I would have also said the same thing two years ago with Kemba Walker. So, <laughs> um, so who knows? So, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy that the Hornets definitely should be trying to get on the right track to start the season. And then before, you know, 
months and months before the trade deadline really have their ducks in a row and 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 have all the feelers you know in on Marvin Williams because they should be able to get something back for him. And that's a good point. Like if if you're going to view this guy as not only an asset but an expiring, uh, maybe we can take back some salary while also acquiring maybe a late first for Marvin. But who knows how that's going to turn out. I just, I never know with uh, the trade assets and some of the uh, returns for these players. Guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, uh, we're happy to continue this conversation and everything we just discussed on this episode. Lastly, we'd also appreciate if you can take that one minute out of your day, if you haven't done so already, and give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. For Spencer, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Go Hornets. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com